The presenting sponsor for On Education is Classcraft. We're excited to announce Classcraft's new story mode, which makes it easy for educators to harness the power of stories. Episodes 1 and 2 of Season 1 are ready for you and your students to play today, and it's completely free. To learn more about Classcraft and the new story mode, simply visit classcraft.com slash oneducation. And, like, that's that's bad. Very bad. Like, to make it to be really simple. Okay, segment done. <laughs> Welcome to On Education, part of the Education Podcast Network. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. This week, we're going to discuss why it's so important for teachers to plan their own lessons. We kick off a new segment called The Bests, talking about the best games for learning. And our guest this week is principal, speaker, and author, Jimmy Casas. We have our obligatory... Obligatory? Obligatory? Obligatory... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we we have our obligatory updates section now because things are just so damn busy. They're, they're uh, happening. They're happening. So again, still register for the Impact Education Conference. It's happening December 14th to 17th. If you use the promo code, I think it's on education 2019, you get 30 bucks off. Ooh. And how could that be bad? Um, we just lowered the price of the workshop yes. that we're doing. Um, because we want more people to come, and we, we didn't know attendees. what price. We didn't set the original price. We let no. them. We just said, "Do whatever you want." Um, but then we found out what the numbers were, and we like, can we lower it? And so we lowered it. So it got lowered. Uh, well, they they said us they they said we'd like to lower it, and I was like, "Yeah, let's absolutely let's lower it." Yeah. Um, because it's not about making money; it's about having people in the room to to share about podcasting, and uh, so register for the podcasting workshop. I think it's going to be great. Um, I'm really excited to to work with Glenn and 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 put it all together. It's I think it's going to be sweet. And again, we're giving away a fidgets sensor kit at the conference to Ooh. high school teachers. So, um, lots going on for impact. Um. And then there's still uh, this should come out just before um, this 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 thing is happening. Uh, um, a collaborative discussion about community and community building and social learning uh, with the folks that participate is happening on Thursday, November 21st at two o'clock. Uh, we will put the registration link for it's a webinar, so you can just kind of chill and join and talk. And um, so that's that's what's happening. Lots going on. What uh, how's your how's your week been? It's been great. The weekends usually go by so fast. You know, we talk about that on Fridays, going like, "Ah, uh, I want to play some video games." <laughs> it ends up being that uh, you end up having to do <laughs> adulting. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> you still got to do the things that you have to do as as adults, and it was awesome. It was still it was a great weekend. Uh, actually, I did this virtual reality thing. Oh right, right, right. That right. Was, tell me, yes, tell me. <laughs> Okay, so the virtual reality component was just okay. It was it was it, it, they had Oculus Quests, so the newest ones. So those were cool. fantastic, and those yeah. were uh, you know amazing. And there was probably I want to say at least forty people who got to experience the virtual reality thing. So it was forty of them headsets uh, that we were doing. And what what the 
the premise was is they played this three-dimensional or virtual reality video of a local uh, national park here in Minnesota as someone did kind of a walkthrough. It was amazing. Um, And while you're doing that, there's a live um, orchestra group, I want to call it, you know. I, I, I guess it's kind of a. It was a. It wasn't a band, and it wasn't an orchestra, but it was definitely a musical uh, group, and it was the strangest music you've ever heard in your whole life, dude. I've listened to all kinds of stuff. I listened like to Blue Man Group, strange because that's the strangest no, thing I've I, ever seen. I love Blue Man Group. I love that that type of stuff. I like electronic they're we- music. They're weird and, as and hell. Oh yeah, they're super weird, but it's it's. <laughs> There's something to it though. Sure. This was, it. I would maybe not refer to it as exactly on the musical side. It's maybe more of a soundscape would be a better way to describe it. And it was out of this world. <laughs> That's the best way I could describe it. There's a lady who was singing and she had an operatic type of voice, beautiful voice, was singing strangely is the best Stop. way I can describe it. And... Then there was all of these crazy sounds that were being made with typical instruments, whatever it might be. Yeah. It was an hour and a half experience of one of the things I told my wife, though, as we left, I was like, one thing that's good is I will never forget this. <laughs> so so hey, that's something. You know, There's a lot of movies we go and see and we go and do all kinds of things and we forget yep. them real easy, you know? Yep. I will never forget this moment. <laughs> hilarious i'm i'm still playing the hell out of oxygen not included in fact i probably am playing more now than i was last week now i'm getting now i'm i'm like trying to teach myself like to build complex like industrial systems in the game to like do things and so i'm using like sandbox mode to like to like game and plot them out and like wow you're getting getting into it it's exhausting (laughs) i'm dreaming about it I'm totally dreaming about like running um, insulated <laughs> ventilation pipes and how to hook up the power to everything <laughs> and making sure that I have insulated walls around my hydrogen vents. <laughs> it's so it's, it's a so lot weird of work. When that happens in video games, though, too, it's a, when they it's when so much work, they become all encompassing. <laughs> And then eventually you just let it go. And then you're like, this okay. This game has taken over my life. I, I'm done. <laughs> it was kind of like farm together with us. <laughs> I, I totally forgot about Google Stadia. And it's yes. coming out this week. I, I think our friend Steve Isaacs bought one. He's Yeah, I'm really interested to see what he thinks about it. Does mm. it really run at the speed that they're talking about? That it's going yeah, yeah, to yeah. kind of be this amazing... Uh, console without a console i mean that's really what it is and so uh super excited about it it's launching this week so i really want to hear some people that that do purchase it i want to hear their feedback uh in that in the gaming world google stadia um so i i I will reach out to steve and anybody else let's see what happens with that so in the uh in the world of you know articles and news and stuff we have a couple things um this this article came up, and I remember you posted something on Twitter about being given a whole bunch of lessons when you first started teaching. Yes. I, I wasn't, but 
I, I think that this is a big problem where new teachers, you know, show up and especially team teachers, especially teachers. Like if you're, uh, if you start grade three, for example, and there are two other grade three teachers that are already there and you're the third one and they've been teaching together for 20 years and then you're the new kid and yep. they literally hand you a binder and say, you know, go photocopy this. This is what we're doing. Yeah. That's and like, that's, not good. that's bad. Very bad. Like to make it to be really simple. Okay, segment <laughs> done. No, I mean, t- talk about this a little bit because obviously that's not a good practice for a new teacher um, to be in at all. What we're, we're, we're not saying that it's bad that you share these items and that right. the teacher go ahead and, and takes these things and starts figuring out, okay, what's my... Uh, the curriculum that I'm going to be working through, what are my standards that I'm that I need to make sure that I teach, and all of those things, of course. And then you have a structure that's already been laid out for you by someone else. That's fantastic. The problem comes in when you just take that and then that's what you teach. That exact thing that was handed to you is what you're what you are delivering. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is that. You're not part of that lesson. You are not invested. Uh, you, Mike Washburn, who loves uh, playing video games and loves all kinds of different things that passions of all kinds of music and all of these things. Well, that's not going to be reflected in some random person that you just this, you became part of their mm-hmm. their team. So you want to make sure that all of those things show up in whatever you're creating, the things that you're passionate about, and the way that you even deliver those lessons should be unique to you because that's the art as we have talked about before i think on uh, on the podcast and even off the podcast there's an art to teaching and that's the part you can never replace you know when people talked about like i've heard some teachers say all of this technology and eventually we're going to be replaced by robots or whatever technology whatever it might be and that's actually not ever going to be the case. And the reason why is because there's a craft, a skill, an art to the teaching process. The human and, side. Exactly. And that you can't replace that. And mm-hmm. if you don't instill that or have that as part of your teaching, oh God, I couldn't imagine even wanting to continue to teach for a long time, mm-hmm. much less it being enjoyable. So definitely take in all of those things and then make the things your own and that's the reason why i hate things like teachers pay teachers can lessons that people just then deliver you know that's what you actually do if you're using that to spark an idea and then you revamp it and i know a lot of people that do this they go on to like sites like teachers pay teachers don't buy the lessons see kind of like an idea of something and go like i can make that a million times mm-hmm. better fantastic you do that and you make it in your own way it's it's just a there's something to that and you're you know what who's the the people that will be able to see right through you delivering lessons that someone just handed to you your students they know when you're invested and they know when you're like passionate about whatever it is that you're doing they also know when you're not and if and they are going to be the first people that are going to see that and then they're going to lose interest they're going to be like, eh, they don't really care about it. Why should I care about it? And so on and so forth. So so oh. for sure, make sure that you take a, a – if you're a new teacher especially, it's okay to go ahead and do your thing, your own version of yeah. whatever the curriculum that you're supposed to be teaching. Yeah. Listen. Ugh. Ugh. 
I don't know what to say anymore about the 11th school shooting of the year um, yeah. that we haven't already said, you know, a whole, I mean, 10 other times, to be yes. honest, because I think we talk about it every time. I think we feel like we should at least mention it. I mean, we we generally always, this first segment, we always have to prune things off of the off of the list of ideas, yeah. um, but you can't prune talking about it um, because there's you, you got to pay your respects and and you know keep the conversation going at, yes. at the very least because I mean we got to keep talking about it. It's got to be top of mind. Please make it a important aspect of the election. People need to be asking their representatives and senators um, for their thoughts on this, on what they're going to do constantly. Yes. And the only thing, the I, I honestly think the only thing that changes this, you know, in the sense that there, there are practical things that can happen that can make this not necessarily go away, because I think it's a culture problem. Yeah, absolutely. I've, I've definitely always thought, you know, it's ingrained into the history of America kind of thing. Um, but I think that there are some practical things that could be done right away to stop guns getting in the hands of the wrong people. And that needs, that's a political solution. And um, that means that this election, for millions of reasons, yes, is by a long shot, the most important election maybe in the in history our... of the modern world. So hot take or not. <laughs> that might it's... be hyperbole, but it's definitely feels that at that level, I would say. And it's a cultural thing. We've talked about it's a issue with uh, mental illness that's, People don't have the ability to be able to, especially our, our youth, to be able to find ways to work through things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a it's a society where we have firearms readily available and too easily available to people who should not have them, including specifically in this case, our youth, you know, our kids. Um, yep. And so it's a super tough issue. It doesn't, I mean... We could talk about whatever might be as far as, but you're right. It's there's some things that can be practically done, and hopefully, there will be a change at some point in time. Like you said, yeah. like some people would, it would just click, and people will like, let's make those practical changes, and then let's figure out what are those specific things that are happening that are besides the gun issue itself. Like, what else are we are are we missing? And mm-hmm, let's work mm-hmm. together towards those solutions, whether it be, uh, you know, people on the left. Or on the right it doesn't matter but we're just working towards the solutions for our kids and yep. that's really ultimately what we want um so yeah the the election uh talking continuing the conversation and not letting this just die out is, is what's going to be important 100 percent. you had lots of candidates for preposterous tweet of the week <laughs> so my first preposterous it's, tweet of first the week, off it's twitter i mean of course yes. you had lots of candidates I for know. preposterous tweet of the week I should just not go on to some threads. Is my, <laughs> it should be advice to myself. Uh, but the first one, and I don't have the exact tweet because I just I decided to walk away from the conversation. Uh, some gentleman after these this this uh, shooting happened in California, 
posted basically a a ginormous loaded tweet that said, this is only happening in public schools. Uh, maybe we should move all our kids to private schools or some, something oh, to that effect. Oh, piss off. <laughs> something to that effect. And, and Are really, you serious? Glad I didn't the, see that yeah, one. No, boy, I, oh boy. And I responded to him mm. and I shouldn't have, but really it's, it just was really infuriating to me because it, it, it the person boiled all of this down and instead of saying i feel for this family and these kids and and everybody involved in this and all the students in that school and all the people that are hurting right now it boils down to this rich issue people don't su- kill people a supposedly about private versus public schools which is just the stupidest thing talk about a preposterous tweet and then the other preposterous tweet that i saw um <laughs> is, I'm surprised uh, that one's not the winner. Like, seriously, I know. It, one actually, yeah, they both are winners. Yeah. So there's okay. a school principal who posted some pictures of students at his school that were dressed up and, and actually labeled as pilgrims. It was for Thanksgiving, I'm, I'm assuming. Um, and then they put pilgrims and labeled them Indians. Um, and it's just, there's so many things wrong with this thing. First of all, he posted pictures of these kids, their faces, and then posted the word Indians there. I just, I, mm-hmm. sometimes I don't even know where to go with it. And maybe it's a learning moment. It's a, a moment to step back and go, okay, what did I, why I, I maybe had some intent, some positive intent with this. And that's what I want to believe too. Um, you guys are so, going to listen to a conversation we're going to have with Jimmy Costas after this. And yeah. really that's still kind of permeating through me. And I'm like, I should, see the best in humans <laughs> right and maybe their intent wasn't what ended up happening and yeah. then there's a learning that can actually happen from that and we all make all i miss all these different mistakes and i've even said plenty of them that i've made here as far as on the podcast itself as far as throughout my life and so maybe this is a learning moment Dude, for that a, person you know that's a good takeaway what a growth mindset <laughs> you have and so you, everybody should stick around definitely for that last segment for with the, uh, the conversation yeah. with Jimmy Costas because really i took that away from that conversation is like all of this stuff happens whether it be on social media but specific you know on twitter whatever it might be or in real life and we all make mistakes mm-hmm. try to see the best in what that person was bringing to whatever might be, even though it might be toxic or wrong, you know, in your eyes, uh, and then try to work through that, you know, whatever it might be. So there's my, my resolution to that preposterous tweets of the week. I like how you (laughs) turned it right around. That makes me feel good. This, this preposterous tweet ended on a happy note. It did. Um, When we come back, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have a new segment. And I think we're going to do this every part two, starting today. It's called The Bests. Uh, We're going to tackle a list. We're not sure what it's going to be about yet. We know what this one's going to be about. We're going to tackle the 10 best games for learning. Seems like a softball. Stay with us. On Education is brought to you by FreshGrade. Are you spending too much time stumbling between apps and duplicating work? Want to spend more time connecting with your students? FreshGrade Next has powerful new lesson planning tools that will give you the flexibility you need to focus on engaging and inspiring your students. FreshGrade Next is designed for teachers and made for learning. Integrated, simple, and powerful. To learn more about FreshGrade Next and sign up for your free account, visit FreshGrade.com. 
On Education is brought to you by Sourcewell Technology and the Impact Education Conference. Join Jimmy Casas, Angela Myers, Michael Cohen, Jordan Shapiro, the On Education podcast team, amazing featured speakers, and thousands of educators December 14th through 17th in Minneapolis, Minnesota for the region's best education conference. Register now using promo code ONEDUCATION2019 for $30 off your registration. Also, with every registration, you'll receive a free book of your choice from one of the amazing speakers. To register for the conference, visit impact.sourcewelltech.org. That's impact.sourcewelltech.org. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We are starting a new segment this week called the bests. I'm really excited about this. I I I love lists. I read a lot of lists and mm. now I want to make lists. So, you know, why not? It seems like a no-brainer to me. People love lists of they like things. like arguing about things. Huh? Sure. And I'm so fine with it's that. It's fun. Argue yeah. away. It's cool. Yeah. I'm fine with it. So, we're going to we're going to basically here's the idea for this segment. We're going to create a big list of something, whatever it is, a brainstorm. This week, it's the best games for learning, okay? And then Glenn's going to pick kind of five or so, and I'm going to pick five or so. And sometimes we'll agree, and sometimes we won't agree, and, you know, maybe we'll argue about it or debate it or whatever. We don't Mm -hmm. argue very much. We... Glenn always says debate in the first part of the intro, and we never actually <laughs> debate very often. Um, we we agree on lots of things. So, um, but anyways, so so this is this is the best. I don't know if we're gonna have a, like a theme song or, or whatever, mm. kind of like dig it or digit. We we, we do have a really cool like little graphic that we made. That's that's pretty rad. So, anyways, I'm I'm excited about the best. So, welcome to the best. This is the best games for learning. And so we created a list, and it's got uh, 13 games on it. I'm sure we've missed a whole bunch. Should I just run them down? Run them down. Run them down. Uh, Not in any specific order other than this is the order they came out of our heads. Mm -hmm. Minecraft, City Skylines, What Remains of Edith Fitch, Gone Home, Her Story, This War of Mine, Assassin's Creed Discovery Tour, Sid Meier's Civilization. Um, then I, I wrote esports games like Rocket League. Uh, whatever other esports games you play in school are fine. And then another category. I, I'm not sure this is part of the rules or not, but you know, now that I'm thinking through it, uh, casual physics games like Bridge, that Bridge Builder, cool Bridge Builder mm. game that you gotta you gotta make That's the true. bridge across yeah. the for the trains, uh, or World of Goo, which I've actually used at school, which was really fun. Universe, Universe Sandbox is a physics game too. Yeah, there you go. It's, not, it's a sandbox. It's not a game. Game. It's this is the one where you crash asteroids into plans and then see what happens. Let's see so what happens. Rad. It's awesome. rad. Oregon Trail, which is mm-hmm. a Total classic and another total classic. Where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Now I'm gonna have that stupid theme song in my head. That's a great theme song for the rest of the <laughs> night. Okay, so there's a lot of really good games here. I think God, that yeah. there's some no brainers here. Why don't you go first? Let's give me. I, I feel like you've you've got it. I feel like you have it in your head. What what do you think the five best games? 
for learning R from this list and give us maybe you don't have to speak about why for all of them, but maybe give okay. uh, couple give a them. couple of rundowns. Yeah. So some of them that just felt like they were influencers, like things that I couldn't ignore were of course like Oregon Trail and where in the world is Carmen San Diego. But there's a ton of other games that we used to play on the Apple IIe. I really enjoyed back in the day when we actually got some time to be able to play on the computer. Um, whether they were these games, because oh, where in the world is Carmen San Diego? Such a fantastic premise of a game, it's and classic. the way that it's set up, it's it's uh, choose your own adventure. Uh, you're trying to solve a mystery. It's so awesome for how cheeseball it really was. I mean, as far as the text based and whatever it might be, um, but a fantastic game, and of course, Oregon Trail. What a classic, amazing game. My kids are actually looking at it now, Mike. It's hilarious because they're like, oh, what's with this game? It's so like, uh, you know, 2D, you know, they call it or whatever it means. They don't know exactly what to say. I'm like, this is the game. So those two games. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then the games that I think that I've actually used, of course, are Minecraft uh, I've played a lot of City Skyline, so I love games like that, and I love the potential of things like that. And then there's a teacher, and he's actually been on the podcast, John Fallon, and he uses this game called Her Story, which is fantastic. The way that he uses it to be able to uh, talk about a, a specific type of author that you can't trust. Um, and so he... he uh, embeds it into his class. They would watch the unreliable it as a class. narrator. Unreliable narrator. There you go. And and so anyway, her story is is the perfect example of how to play a video game or a game that uh, deals with that. So I really love that concept, even though I haven't ever played it myself. Uh, so many o- o- other awesome games out here, and I'm sure there's so many other ones that we're missing too. So that's about five for me that I'm that I'm naming. It's about five for you. So. Yeah. We share, I'm looking at the ones I put my little M's beside, and I think we share two of them. Um, I think Minecraft's a no-brainer. Minecraft yes. is, um, you know, the most popular game on the planet. Um, like, just for people playing, regardless of whether it's education or not. Um, the fact that you can use the most popular game on the planet also to teach just about anything that you ever wanted to teach is a huge win for um, people like us who believe in the power of games to learn. So uh, I love, I love Minecraft. I still play it all the time and now I train people on how to use it and it's a blast. So, so um, you know, I think that that's a no brainer. I, I, I'm going to add City Skylines to my list as well. I think it's so underrated as a game just on its own. Um, I'm so happy that it's out, you know, after the fall of, you know, Sim City, which basically crashed and burned the last release. Um, and I think that there's this education version that's produced by Teacher Gaming that everyone should take a look at that teaches environmental science. Um, that's awesome. Which is amazing. Um, so city skylines, there is an education version again, uh, through teacher gaming that everyone should, should check out. Um, I think it goes without saying that I put Sid Meier's civilization on, on my list. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I've, I'm on record. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that game. I don't think, uh, I wouldn't be here if not for, you know, literally reading, uh, Kurt Squire's PhD thesis on how to use it in education. It's literally what got me thinking about how to use games in learning. So, um, you know, the fact that people have written PhD theses about a video game, um, you know, kind of tells you a little bit about its value in education, I think. So, um, uh, Civilization is, I still play it. I got, I, I'm at 1700 hours on Civ 5. <laughs> I think I'm at about 650 hours on Civ 6. So, you know, it's still something I'm into. Not right now because I'm playing Ani all the time, but you know, I'll come back to it. I, I, I am going on a 16 hour flight soon. I'm sure I'm going to play, uh, some Civ Civilization. Yep. Um, so, the last two. Um, what remains of Edith Fitch? Paul Darazi's work um, with iThrive and this this whole unit that they developed called the Museum of Me, um, I think is really important work um, that isn't getting enough. Like, it's getting a lot of attention in academic circles. It's getting, you know, articles that people write articles about it every once in a while and you know, Paul comes on podcasts like ours and other people's and, and talks about it and obviously goes to conferences and gives sessions about it. But um, I'd really like to see it, his work, this unit that he's created, this this Museum of Me, which is a social-emotional learning, you know, unit um, related, to, uh, related to this game. I'd like to see it more out there more. Um, so I would encourage people to look into, um, look into that, especially if you're looking to use games in a, in a more personal, um, meaningful way. Um, so the last one, I, I really think the future is esports in a, yes. in so many ways. Um, I think that, you know, we are raising a generation of kids that, the 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 world championships for whatever game is going to be their Super Bowl. Um, we will have you know professional esports players making like earning contracts and making millions oh, yeah. of dollars. I mean, they already do for the most part. Um, it's going to be on TV all the time. This is this is part of the future, and so the careers and the jobs and the ecosystem that supports that. Um, you know, there's going to be more of those roles going forward. And, and so you're going to have a lot of kids doing some really interesting, like producers and audio designers and video designers and graphic designers and play by play yes. people. And like all of these other roles, there's thousands of roles. Think about what goes into a sports broadcast and how many people like work a normal football game. And and in various in various production yeah. production aspects, and that's our kids' future is is in some of these roles. Uh, so I think introducing kids to the esports ecosystem um, and getting them enjoying competitive gaming it's not just good for like the jobs and the future careers and all that stuff, but I think it's good for teaching kids self regulation. And and some digital citizenship and and having conversations about bullying and toxicity um, that are s parts of the narrative of gaming. 
Um, so I think that there's a lot of potential there. So so there's there's a there's my five. That's good. I feel like this was a this was an easy one though too, for both of us to kind of. It was the softball, like you said. It was the softball. For us to be able to go ahead. We're not going to disagree with each other on all of this stuff. There's tons of awesomeness inside of this, just this list. And then this list could go probably, if we thought about it, Yeah, we could probably bust out 50 games yep. uh, that would have uh, various types of educational value. Um, and there's just so many out there. So, But yeah, I just figured the next time we do one of these, the best – we got to have a controversial topic, <laughs> something that we don't people a- agree on. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, so, I mean, we we wouldn't mind knowing what your bests are. So, if you have ideas for not only topics, uh, drop us a line um, on Twitter or whatever. Um, but also, uh, we will probably put a question about this in the chat. Chat on education. Every Friday, uh, nine, twelve, and three, um, and we'll we'll see if you have any thoughts on your best games for learning. When we come back, we'll be joined by Jimmy Cassis. So stay with us. On Education is brought to you by Fidgets. Fidgets are interactive USB sensors that support all major programming languages that make physical computing easy. Fidgets keep the emphasis on coding while increasing student engagement. And the best part is that you can get started for free right now. Simply go to bit.ly slash fidgets on education to get your introductory kit that includes a free sensor worth over $50. That's bit.ly slash fidgets on education. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Our guest this week is an award-winning high school principal, the author of four books, and a widely traveled speaker who will be the Tuesday keynote at Impact Education Conference coming up in December. Welcome to the podcast, Jimmy Cassis. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So, Jimmy, take us from principal to author to consultant and speaker fill in the blanks for us a little bit tell us a little bit more about yourself what's your what's your story (laughs) those are like three different questions there Mike. (laughs) love it go nuts all right let's start with uh what's the story okay well first of all i'm gonna i'm not gonna go way back but i'll just say this i didn't you know part of the reason i went to education was for about three reasons one Felt like I needed to do it for my parents. My parents sacrificed a lot to provide the opportunities for us to be able to uh, have an opportunity to go to school. Neither one of my parents are formally educated. Um, my father dropped out of school and he was in eighth grade. My mother dropped out of school and she was in ninth grade. They were. My father moved in with my mother's family when she, he was 17 years old. And my parents were migrant workers. Mm. Um, and they traveled the circuit from Texas to California to Iowa. And in 1966, my parents made the decision to stay in Iowa. Uh, and if you know anything about the Latino culture, that's usually not the best thing to do when you separate from the family <laughs> because you yeah. stay together as a family, right? Especially when you're working to you know make ends meet and to pay the bills and to do the things you need to do to survive. But my parents made that sacrifice because they knew in order to break the generational cycle of poverty, in order to provide the opportunities to have the quality of life that they knew that they would never have, right? Because they just knew they wouldn't, right? And so, but they valued education. And I was just telling a friend of mine tonight that that my mother loves school, right? She loves to study. And even though she's not formally educated, she loves everything about it. So, so number one, I felt like I, I owed it to them, right? Because they stayed in Iowa. The rest of the family went back to Texas today. 
all my mother's family, all my father's family, all live in Texas, um, except us. And we're still in Iowa. My parents are still living in Iowa. So you can see what happened that, that separation created that and that, and that still exists today. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I felt like I owed it to them. Number two, um, I had an assistant principal. I've talked this about this a lot. My assistant principal, Mr. Morgan was truly my champion, a gentleman who really took time every day to connect with me, to, uh, to advocate for me, to champion for me, even though I didn't like school, I wasn't good at school, I struggled in school, never wanted to go to school, simply wanted to mm -hmm. work. My father and mother both have a tremendous work ethic, and and uh, I just want to work, right? My parents were laborers, and and so that's all I wanted to do. And so, but, uh, but I also felt guilty because I knew how much they had sacrificed, so I felt obligated to continue to go to school. Um, and then uh, in my senior year of high school, I got expelled from school. And Mr. Morgan actually is the one who championed for me and helped my parents navigate a system that they just didn't understand. But uh, eventually was reinstated, got back into school. Uh, and so, but then just couldn't do the college thing, right? So I went to work just like I always wanted to do and, and did that for a year and was very successful at it. I actually sold insurance, I actually worked for a sales company, uh, mm -hmm. company and sold insurance for a year and was very good at it. And thought that that's just where I was going to stay with my career. But um, as things turn out, uh, I decided to go back to school. And uh, from that on, I just, I don't know, that, that that life experience, I think I think I matured. And I think what we see a lot today is that not everybody's ready to go to college straight out of school. And so that one year did a lot for me in terms of just allowing me to grow up, be on my own, figure out what I want to do. And as soon as I realized that I didn't want to work like that the rest of my life. I actually wanted to be educated. And so at that point, I made the decision to go back to school. And, and then um, I went back to school and, and pursued uh, bilingual ed. And then uh, I did some volunteering at elementary school in Iowa City, Iowa, and, and just fell in love with it. And so decided at that point to go ahead and go back into education. And, and, um, and then took my first job in Milwaukee Public Schools. And what's really interesting, as I tell people, at the age of 26, I took my first principal job. And mm. the first person I, well, first person I called was my parents. But then after that, I called Mr. Morgan. And, mm. and um, it's just interesting, right, to, to be able to say to him at the age of 26, which is about, you know, about seven and a half years later, hey, we're colleagues now, right? <laughs> I mean, I didn't ever think I was even going to graduate from high school. I'm embarrassed to tell you, in a way, but I graduated with like a 1.69 GPA, but I made it. But uh, with a lot of help from a lot of people. So so that's kind of how my career began. I started as a teacher in Milwaukee Public Schools, became a principal at the age of 26, served in that role of the principal in three different districts for 22 years. So a total of 26 years in education and then left the profession three years ago uh, to pursue this passion, right? Um, I tell people I've been speaking since I was probably 26 years old. I started doing a little bit more serious when I was about 30 years old when I moved back to Iowa. Um, I was 30 years old and, and, and at that time had already been a principal for four years and just felt like I wanted to work with other new principals and kind of mentor them and be a part of, you know, supporting them in their work each and every day. So I just got into it and fell into it. And I tell people I spoke at workshops and conferences, uh, mainly in my state of Iowa. Um, but I did it for 18 years for free, right? Like I never got paid a penny for it. Um, I did speak at national conferences like NASSP and these types of different types of conferences. But, um, but it wasn't until 2012 when I was named the Iowa Principal of the Year and then followed that up with a runner-up National Principal of the Year mm. and then had the opportunity, because of that experience, had the opportunity to speak at NASSP 
in front of a larger audience. And once that happened, the phone started ringing. It's never stopped ringing since. And so I just feel very blessed to have the opportunity to be able to, to support other administrators in this work because we know how difficult it is. And um, I feel really good about doing that today. And so, so yeah, so three years ago, I made the decision to leave the profession uh, because it's hard to balance both, right? I mean, there is a point mm-hmm. where you have mm-hmm. to make a decision, you know, how much do you want to travel? You know, at that time I was, you know, I was probably traveling once or twice a month as a principal and then a little bit more during the summer. But, you know, my, I only had 25 vacation days. Those days we get used and then I'm getting all these calls and I can't do it because I don't have any mm-hmm. days left to do it. So, so for three years I did that and, and, and thought about making this jump. But like everybody else, you know, when people call me today and say, Hey, Jimmy, I, I want to do what you do. I was telling the same thing. Don't quit your day job because it's a different kind of grind, right? It's a different kind of work and people don't realize that. And so, but if you love to travel and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love it. I, I don't, I've not gotten tired of the travel yet. I enjoy it. Um, I tell people all the time, this isn't like a real job. I mean, the people that are actually working in schools today, that's a real job, right? I mean, I know what that grind's like. I did it for 22 years. That's a grind. That's a real grind. And, uh, but you know, now I don't, you know, I don't really have any emails. Nobody ever yells at me. Nobody's upset. (laughs) The pacing is completely different. You know, I'm kind of just on my own pace now and, and it's kind of cool. Right. And so we'll see how long it lasts, you know, as how, how long can you sustain it when you're out of the profession, quote unquote. Right. But so far I still feel like, you know, we're still got a lot of work to do and, and I like the entrepreneurial side of it as well. My parents were always kind of like the American dream, right? They were always Mm -hmm. dabbling in different things trying they, they like the business side of things and and as much as i love education i still love it i still believe i have a good run left in me so if i ever decide i want to go back into the profession i mean i still feel like i could do a good 10-year run somewhere i think i have the energy and the passion the drive to do that i'm not sure i would do a principal job because i've only ever you know i feel like i you know i would do like maybe a superintendent's role or something like that just because i'd want a different kind of challenge after mm-hmm. having served as principal for 22 years but but uh yeah so that's kind of my story right there and just kind of how I fell into the profession uh, and then the speaking and so forth. And then, you know, with that, obviously, is the writing and so forth and and to begin to blog. And that started about, mm, I guess it's been now for about seven and a half years ago now and started blogging. And um, and even though I didn't want to, because it, it's hard to to go down that and make yourself vulnerable and put yourself out there. But they really encouraged me to do that. So that's kind of how I started building a little bit of confidence in the writing aspect and then I uh, had the good fortune of meeting, you know, a good friend of mine today, Jeff Zoll, and then through his connection, met Todd Whitaker. And then next thing you know, they're asking me to write a book with them, which you don't say no to Todd wow. Whitaker. So once you do that, then it's kind of it's kind of crazy. But they taught me a process that let me build a confidence. And then we followed that up with another book. And then and then I finally had the opportunity with the good fortune of Dave Burgess, who had been reading a lot of my blogs, you know, saying, hey, you got a story in there. I want you to share your story. I'd love to publish mm-hmm. your book. And and so, I, you know, I'm just so grateful to him. He's published, you know, three and now soon to be four books of mine. Wow. Because we have another book coming out here probably at the end of March or beginning of April. But, and so I just owe a lot of people, you know, a low, I owe a lot of gratitude to a lot of people. And as I always say, you know, you don't get anywhere in life without the help of other people. So I've just been really yeah. blessed because I have a lot of people who have always just, I don't know why, but people tend to carry my banner and people tend to champion for me. And so I'm just super grateful for those individuals who continue to stuff. To help me along my journey. What I was thinking as you're telling this story is, is, is it mimics my exact same pathway as my mom was a Mexican immigrant uh, who crossed the border illegally 
all throughout her teens and then into her 20s. And then I was born in El Paso, Texas. And I've told oh. the story of basically this exact same type of concept that you're talking about, a mm-hmm. family that's their number one, the number one important thing was to have a strong work ethic. And then yep. so myself and my cousins uh, who were, were born in the United States, we definitely felt obligated and we have basically lifted ourselves up and helped our parents also uh, in that process. But I love you the story that you're telling because you're talking about someone championing for you, even though you struggled as far as in K through 12 education or, you know, and even in high school, you didn't really, in, you know, you weren't passionate about it. Uh, now as a Latino and you're, and you're a speaker and you're out there, do you see yourself as, is that also being an important part is making sure that you give back to, for example, the Latino community or just minorities in general to make sure that they get a voice on these stages that are usually, I mean, the the people that are usually on these stages are always representative of the students that we have as far as in our classrooms. Well, first of all, Glenn, I like the way you say Latino. I mean, I just like the way you say that. <laughs> I was first a Spanish all, teacher for 20 I years. I can tell. I can tell. Man. <laughs> I love I it. The way you said love that. it. So, that got me all jacked up. Now, now we're getting serious now. <laughs> Holy cow. Didn't know I just have to bring out my, my bilingual game tonight. So. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, there's a, certainly there's a sense of pride there. I mean, just no different than when I was growing up, right? You know, I never saw any anybody that looked like me that was my teacher, right? That never happened. Yes. Certainly not my principal. I started my career in Milwaukee Public School, like I said. And, you know, again, I had really good uh, support systems in the fact that there were people who saw something in me, right? Saw a certain potential. Said, you know, you should consider you know, going into school administration, right? And um, and again, um, at that time in Milwaukee Public Schools, it, you know, my first principal and my first job was uh, Latino, right? Unfortunately, he wasn't successful. And that really bothered me, right? Because mm. I knew how critical people were of him. Yes. And I also heard the whispers of, like we always hear, it's like, oh, I'm not sure, you know, Latinos can handle this, right? I'm not sure they have the skills to be leaders and he has an accent, you know, all this other stuff that, you know, these biases and prejudices that come out of people. And so, you know, obviously at that time, even, you know, I'm 20, at that time I'm 24 years old and thinking I want to do this, but, but I'm scared to be honest with you. Cause you know, you don't want to fail because yes. the reality is, I mean, you feel like you let, not just let your family down, but you're also letting, uh, you know, you're letting down your, your, your roots, right? Your culture, yes. your, your people. And so, but at the same time, then you think, well, I, you know, these people see something in me and I, I, I should try to do that. Right. And so, so I certainly with that then comes a certain drive and a, a desire to be successful because I don't want to let people down. Unfortunately, there's an inner struggle that goes on with that because in doing so, you end up having to make a lot of sacrifices. I've always believed that if you want to be really good at something, you have to invest a lot of time in it. Right. It's just yeah. people who, who are good at what they do. That skill takes a long time to develop, which means you have to be all in, right? Well, the the hard part with that is, at least I found out, is you make a lot of sacrifices, right? And typically those sacrifices come around health and come around family, right? Mm. If you're investing that much time, that means someone's not getting your time. And and so there's always a price to pay for that a little bit, especially when you're young and you don't quite see life the same as you do, like I do now, right? Like I just have a different perspective and a different lens on it, so... You just don't have the maturity yet. You don't have the life experiences. You you think you can do it all. You know, I'm passionate. <laughs> yeah. I'm energetic. I'm young. You know, I got all this. I can do it all, right? And and you fool yourself because you think you can. 
and and you might do it for a short period of time, but but again, it'll it'll pay it'll cost you something at some point. And so that's what I always try to help young administrators now to understand is there's there's a better way, right? I just didn't see it, and that better way I learned was well, how do you build a community of leaders to help you lead an organization? Because when you go into the profession, you kind of think you have to do it all by yourself. I mean, there is a yes. There is a, a perception that, well, you're the building principal, so you should know the answer. You're the building principal, so you should be able to figure this out. And and that comes with a lot of pressure. And so and so that's what I try to work with principals today is how to build capacity, which I think is the most important thing that we can do as leaders is build that community of leaders, invite people to lead, challenge people to lead, encourage people to lead, and hopefully even inspire people to want to lead. Uh, I try to remind people all the time, if we're walking into our jobs, into our buildings exhausted and depleted and frustrated and and look like we're just completely worn out well who the hell is ever going to want to be a principal right so we can't do that so how do we how do we create a different type of environment where we have energy and every day not only at school but when you build a community of leaders that means you're not exhausted that means when you go home you can be a better husband you can be a better wife you can be a better you know father or mother and so you know that's what i try to do today is try to help principals you know, figure that out, that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. You can actually still be uh, the best version of you in all different areas of your life, right? And so yes, that's what absolutely. I try to do. Uh, Jimmy, you do a lot of work with my, my good friends, Carl Hooker and Brianna Hodges. At, oh, uh, look at that. Future, Future Ready. Look at the connections just coming out. I know. I like we talked off air that we hadn't met each other, and it's actually stunning that we hadn't. Um, <laughs> I, I'll admit I don't know. Uh, I'm I'm from Toronto, Ontario, well north of Toronto, but um, uh-huh. I don't think the Future Ready does a ton of work up uh, north of the border. So I'll, I'll admit I don't know a lot about what Future Ready is and what they do, um, and oh. and I'm sure that other people do but I, I'd love for you to take us through what future ready is and what a future ready event looks like I, I'm interested in this a yeah. little bit yeah, mostly because I've had some serious FOMO lately seeing you know all you guys <laughs> out there doing what We're seems like a really bunch of fun <laughs> stuff place. I'm like damn Carl you look like you're having too much fun like yeah. I, I mean <laughs> Uh, he's, he's living the dream now. So I'm interested. Yeah, you, you can't beat it. So, well, again, see, I mean, it just goes to show you again, it's, it's funny how I just, you know, I know, I know I'm really blessed. I just feel like I keep landing in all the right places. Right. So, so about five years ago, I landed at that place. I, I think there was uh so I met Tom Murray, first of all, and he had taken a job with the Alliance for Excellent Education out of Washington, D.C., and one of their projects was the Future Ready Schools project. And they had started this project and it had gone in their first year. But uh, Governor Bob Wise was the, the director of this program. And, uh, and so they had a, uh, I think someone wasn't able to make it to one of the events or something. So Tom called me and said, hey, any chance you could cover, right, come out and speak at this event. And that was in New Jersey. And I went out and did that. And it just, it was awesome, right? And... Um, and so what I learned from that a lot was the idea of what does it mean to be, you know, a part of the future ready schools movement at that time, right? And that was how to support schools across the country, not just in technology, right? But, you know, it has all these different gears, whether it's data privacy or the gear of leadership or the gear of, you know, um, they have all these different gears and all these different strands that, that are part of those gears, right? 
So like, there's a leadership strand, there's a teacher librarian strand, there's an instructional coach strand. And, and this has evolved a little bit over time as well, right, from when they first started. But the idea was for schools to take the pledge and that the, the schools would take the pledge and committing to trying to begin to look at how can we create access for students, uh, not only just in schools, but all around the country, whether it was you know having Wi-Fi, whether you're rural, whether you're urban or whatever. And so there was all this movement to try to support this work. And so, um, and so that's how it began. And then two years later, I had the good op- the opportunity again to be able to do a little bit more work for Future Ready and then begin to serve as an advisor. So we go to Washington, D.C. once a year and we meet and they use practitioners at the time from the field who were principals and superintendents and instructional coaches and all this to try to put together these workshops that they wanted to do all over the country, these institutes or these summits, right? Um, And that the idea was that they wouldn't charge, that these would be free, that people could bring their team they would commit to do, you know, be future ready. They're not trying to sell anything because everything is through sponsors, right? So they get sponsors. They put on these free summits around the country. And then, uh, yeah, so you come with your team. And the idea is to help people in, in whatever strand that they're, that they're coming to, right? So, like I said, there's teacher, librarians, instructional coaches, a tech strand as well for those who work as directors of technology or whatever. And so it's... It's to help them shape their thinking differently and then also give them skills at the same time and how to continue to vision better schools, right? 20, and I guess now it would be what, 21st century skills, right? In 21st century schools, how to reimagine these, how to look at the learning spaces, what's the infrastructure look like, what's the programming look like, what kind of curriculum would it take, all those types of things that we know in terms of looking at schools. So so they continue to be supported by the Alliance for Edu- Excellent Education. Deb Delisle was just recently named the new director here to start this new year. And I think she came from over from ASCD. I think she was the president of ASCD. Mm-hmm. And now she's there. So, so yeah. So, you know, now there's each one has a strand leader. And so we travel as a team uh, and put on these summits. And then they do other things. If you go to the, the website at futurereadyschools.org, uh, there's a bazillion resources that are available for schools for free that they can utilize. Awesome. And they also put on webinars and different things and, and workshops, and you can reach out to them. and They'll support that. But the, I think the best thing about it, obviously, is the fact that there's no charge for it. And yet they're trying to support administrators all over the country. And um, it's just been a really positive thing, I think. As we were getting ready for this, Jimmy, uh, we were reading through just a bunch of your uh, of the things that you've said. And there's a lot of profound things that you've said. And this is a quote here that you recently wrote, I believe. It it says, don't fall into the trap of not making decisions for fear of upsetting others. When we stall out of fear, we lose momentum and others can begin to question our ability to lead change effectively. When we culturize, we give others permission to lead and make decisions with us. We have a lot of administrators that listen to the show and for them out there, what are some of the first steps towards creating this ideal type of yeah. culture in our schools? Yeah, it kind of lines what I said earlier. So the first thing is, is just always remember that, that, you know, again, when we go into the profession, we get kind of fooled a little bit because we think we're supposed to make all these decisions, like we're supposed to lead these organizations. You know, let's be honest, most people who go into leadership roles are kind of like fixers, right? We go into the principalship because we have strong opinions that we could do something better or we're not sure why we do it this way and so forth. So, again, we go in there thinking that 
we're the ones going to make these changes happen. We're going to lead this school, this organization. So again, it goes back to this community of leaders and how do we begin to cultivate that. So so the first thing I, I try to encourage principals is to identify, uh, first of all, that everybody in the organization has the capacity to lead. That's the first thing you've mm-hmm. got to believe, right? You go into an organization, everybody has that capacity. Whether they have the skills or not is a different story. And everybody's at a different level, but they certainly have that capacity. So if we can begin to build that capacity across the entire organization, which means we begin to recognize people's individual talents, their strengths. Uh, We invest in the individuals based on the relationships that we form with these individuals. And then there's these different strategies that we can begin to use, right? And so one of those, for example, is when we begin to work in organizations, one of the things that we struggle at is not understanding that we must have processes and frameworks in place if we're ever going to be able to create a system in any organization. Yes. And the system is important because the system is the equity, right? If you don't have a system, that means some kids getting it, some kids not, some teachers getting it, some kids not, or teachers not, some programs getting it, some programs not. And and that creates issues, right? Because imagine you moving into a district and, you know, you want your son to have the best teachers, right? Well, if you have it, if you don't have a process, how you grow and develop your teachers, well, then what's going to happen is you're going to create inequities because one teacher is going to be more skilled than another teacher. And therefore, some kids are going to their end result is going to be they're going to be better prepared academically because they had a better teacher. And that's just not right. Yes. Right. When you begin to think about it. So that's an example. Like, what is the process that we put in place to grow and develop our teachers? And so if you're not strategic in that. Right. Well, then what's going to happen is over time, those teachers are going to continue to fall back to average. That's just what happens. Because there's no one developing their skill sets, right, as they go into the profession and to maintain that over time. And so we've got to be strategic in that. And so when I begin to think about what happens in, you know, in that quote you just shared, to begin to culturize recognizes that leadership's not a committee of one. So that the premise of culturize came from the idea is that for 12 years, Glenn, I looked at the culture of my schools through my eyes and my eyes only, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the lens I saw the culture, right? Well, what I failed to see is that, and I share this a lot. So if you think about it, there's this, there's this level, what you kind of think is the culture, but underneath that surface, there's a subculture, right? Yes. And that's the real culture because that's the culture we don't see. Mm-hmm. All right. So as a leader, if I'm not building a community of leaders, if I'm not having other people lead with me, I see this. But the undercurrents underneath are all the things that I'm missing because I only see it through my eyes. So culturized, the premise was, was to begin to look at your culture, not through your eyes, but through the eyes of the students and the eyes of the staff. That's the real culture. And so what I learned from that was to begin to sit down with my, my staff and begin to ask them questions that would allow me to see the culture through their eyes. Things like, what do you love about our school? How is this school different than the last school you worked in? If you became the principal today, what's the first change you would make and why, right? So Mm -hmm. those responses allowed me to see the culture through their lens and through their perspective because I was missing it because I didn't see it because I only saw it through my eyes because I'm trying to lead all by myself. And that's when I learned. And that took me 12 years to figure that out. So imagine that, Glenn. I mean, that's not good, right? (laughs) I mean, you lose a lot of credibility, right? And that's what I'm trying to say in there is because even as a leader, you know, when you don't make a decision, that's actually a decision, right? And, you know, 
to me, it's frustrating to be led by someone who kind of plays it in the middle. Like, I want to know, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? Make a decision, right? And so I often say, don't let the process become the product. Like, you can, you should have a process. But part of that process is getting to an end result and not just getting stuck in the process over and over because you'll lose credibility because people think you're just scared to make a decision or you won't make a decision for fear that you're going to upset somebody. Well, when you don't make the decision, then you actually made a decision. And I think you actually lose credibility because you will lose your best people. So part of the process should include, if you have an effective process, is that everybody has input into that process. However, at the end of the day, in my opinion, the building principal still needs to make that decision, right? But you protect yourself by having a process where people feel valued, they feel appreciated, they feel they have a voice, and you have a process that's equitable and allows people to understand that if we follow the process, we should probably end up with the same result. We should end up in the same place, right? And then so that's to me is part of effective leadership is having the courage to make those decisions, but understand that we have to bring people on board to be a part of that, that you can't just be making these because you'll miss the undercurrents, right? You'll miss yes. the subculture because you don't, you're not asking the right questions. And so these are skills that I often share that we don't necessarily have coming out of principal school, right? But it's really hard to simulate that also in all fairness. I mean, let's be honest. You know, you can tell people what they need to do, but until they sit in that chair and they have to face that every day, it's really hard to simulate. Even in my work with Drake University, I know how difficult that is to simulate that with my cohorts and my, and my students that I was teaching is trying to help them understand that that's mm, a little different than that, right? But I can tell them, but man, until they see it, until they feel it, it's just a whole different ballgame. But, uh, but unfortunately today, there's just not a lot of, um, you know, we're so scrutinized anymore. Everything's so scrutinized, right? There's a lot of scrutiny on leadership that if you mess up at any point, people don't want to give you a lot of passes anymore. You know, it doesn't take long for the whispers to begin that, you know, people begin to think like this guy doesn't know what he's doing, right? Well, uh, I don't. <laughs> I'm just doing the best <laughs> I can, right? And so that's why it's important to begin to build a community of leaders very quickly so they help you see those undercurrents so you don't get caught. And, um, and that to me is, are the most effective leaders. And these are skills that take time to develop, but, uh, you'll develop a lot quicker if you have other people help you along the way. So let's talk scrutiny. Uh, Mm -hmm. Twitter, Twitter is a, Twitter's a, Twitter's a strange place most days. Um, uh, it's also become an amazing place for educators to learn and share and grow and connect. Um, there's definitely, uh, though, uh, an educator subculture, uh, that's the nice way of putting it, um, <laughs> on Twitter that's hypercritical and, in my mind, potentially toxic. Um, we've talked a bit about it. on. It's nothing new to our listeners. We've talked about it on the podcast, so we're not afraid necessarily to bring it up. Um, you've had your own run-ins with some of these these folks and for a bit they actually kind of had you in their sights pretty frequently i was you know witness to it and pushed back even on it a couple times i want to get your take first on this this call out culture um you know you know again to use it you know politely um and then your thoughts on their criticisms of you um but also i think to frame it in a better way how do you think we can all work together to address the concerns some of these folks have that, you know, in some ways may possibly be valid. Um, not, not specifically of you just in general, um, while working to remain, you know, ideally professional and 
constructive. I framed that so well wow, that because so, because yeah. I've said some really was, nasty things. <laughs> that was very. I was professional and cor- in, in constructive there. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't pretend to have any answers to this anymore than anybody else, but I obviously have some opinions and some thoughts on it, right? So I'll just kind of start talking and um, just kind of where where I where I land with all this kind of stuff. So first of all, let me just start by saying this. When we make the decisions to live in this environment, right, to do work like we're working right now, it's no different in the, the parallels to me is like being a principal. Like I know when I became a principal, at some point I figured this out, that every time you make decisions, somebody's not going to be happy with you, right? Typically, right? Yep. And, yes. and so I always said if I could get eight out of ten people to be really happy with, with what I made, the decision I had made, I felt like I was doing really well, right? I'll take that all day. Well – that's just part of what we know going into the profession though, right? So it's when I was a principal, as much as I got beat up as a principal, just like I see our principals get beat up today. Like I've got colleagues right now on the ledge, right? They're ready to walk away. They're just tired of the the BS, right? But I have to continue to remind them just like people want to say it to me like, Oh, I'm so, you know, I feel so badly what happened to you, you know, and all this kind of stuff. I said, but, but you understand 90% of what I did was I loved it, right? It was awesome. Mm-hmm. It was positive. Yes. But 10% wasn't so. But that 10% is enough to drive people out of the profession, right? Because they just get to the point where sure it's not is. worth it, right? They just get beat up. Yeah. People are toxic. People make crap up. People go after you. People just want to, you know, rehash every decision you ever made as though somehow you're supposed to be perfect <laughs> in this position. Well, it's the, kind of the same way on Twitter, right? Like, so I, I'd say this. First of all, I am fortunate to what social media has been able to do for my career, right? I know I'm where I'm at today because of the good fortune of what a platform allowed me to do, right? So whether it's when I talk to the people in the field who want to complain about the awfulizers, right, the people who come at you and the, and the toxicity of it, I still have to remind them, but you understand that 90% of my day on social media is awesome, Right. That's great. And so yeah. I can't sit yeah. there and go, oh, love your book, Jimmy. Oh, you did a great job speaking. I loved you. Oh, this guy's awesome. And then some guy says, that guy's bad for kids. And then I get all bent out of shape and, and want to get off social media, right? Like, so that's my perspective now. Now, that's my lens today. That wouldn't have been my lens 20 years ago, 15 years ago, hell, even 10 years ago. I would have got my feelings hurt. I would have got mad. I would have been upset. I probably would have went into hiding. I would have, you know, all these things we do. But today I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to let anybody take away my excellence. I'm going to tell you that right now, right? No one's going to take that away from me because here's why. Because I still believe that everybody behaves the way they behave. They think the way they think. They respond the way they respond because they have a story. They have these past experiences that have led them to the point of where they are today, just like I do. I believe what I believe. I behave the way I behave. Because I've had these experiences that have landed me where I'm at today. It doesn't mean they can't change. It doesn't mean I can't adjust them. But today, that's where I'm at, right? And if you think about that, the hypocrisy to all of it to me is people should have an opportunity to grow and change their mind. <laughs> like, I am yes. not the same administrator I was when I went into the profession at 26. I'm just not. I don't even believe some of the same thing. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed by some of the things I believed or did. But that's the growth, right? That that's where we get better. And so 
my mindset today now is when I get, you know, when people go at me or whatever you want to, right? If you think about it, it's like they just find one thing to go after, right? For whatever reason. I still believe professional jealousy exists. I really do. I believe the reason a lot of people won't put themselves out there and won't go for greatness and won't be vulnerable is because they're worried about what people will say or come at them, right? And so it's like we're always sucking people back to the status quo, like, like we're hip- hypocritical. We said, go for it, go for greatness, but we did tear them <laughs> down right away. It's no different, but it's, it's the same in all aspects, right? You look at professional sports. It's a perfect example. We love you today. We hate you tomorrow, right? And so it's, it's kind of like a what have you done for me lately. So, so what I've learned is this from that is I just try not to judge, right? Like sometimes, but part of me is still who I am. Like sometimes, like there was a tweet the other day that said something like, you know, Jimmy Costas is bad for kids, right? And what I really wanted to say was, well, that tweet is bad for kids, right? <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, that tweet is bad, yeah. right? Because yeah. Because in one respect, you you talk about everybody should have a voice and 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 whatever demographic population you fit into should have that voice. But I can't have a voice, and yet, how is my any different than anybody else? Right. So it, it's just an interesting dynamic. So what I've what I've kind of learned to do is is kind of just let it go. I, I'm you know I've had this conversation even with George. Is I my fault is this? I believe I can change everybody. Like, I believe I can influence everybody. So mm-hmm. sometimes my own stubbornness, I won't let it go because I still see the good in them and say, well, they don't really want to be that way, right? They just landed there. And I think if they if they got to know me, if they knew who mm-hmm. I was, they wouldn't think right, that way right. about me, right? Yep. That's kind of my yep. mentality. But then at yep. some point, I realized, you know what? I, I don't think I'm going to change this dude today. However, notice I said today, <laughs> right? Because I don't today. want to be hypocritical either. And here's what I'm saying. To me, the hypocrisy is here. I can't be the guy who talks about and says things like, you know what, I believe every teacher wants to be great, and I think a great leader can bring them back to greatness. I think people who are no longer great have lost their way. I actually believe that. So I can't then give up on people because they say, well, that's just the way they are. Well, I also have to understand is not everybody's ready to flip over today. Not everybody's going to sway over because Jimmy Costa says something, and they shouldn't anyway. I mean, that's dangerous too, right? I don't expect everybody to agree with me. And I say that every time I talk. Look, I'm not telling you to agree with me, but there's got to be something I say today that you're saying, you know what? That's actually a pretty good thought there, right? Well, I feel like on social media, I can't say anything. For some individuals, it doesn't matter what I say. I can't say anything right, right? If I say one thing, they'll twist into something else. And so at some point, I feel like I test the waters and I can tell really quickly whether this is going to go anywhere or not. If it's not, you know what? I just let it go. But what I've learned is I just let it go and I don't let it bother me and I don't let it shut me down. I don't let it, you know, skew my thinking or or turn me into somebody I don't want to be. You know, again, I probably would have let that happen 15, 20 years ago because I probably would have judged them. But I don't judge today. I just think, you know what? I wonder what happened to them. You know, I wonder if they've always felt that way, you know, but but not in a sarcastic way, but in a sincere way to say, you know what? I don't think they were always that way. I I just don't Mm -hmm. believe that. Right. I mean, again, there's exceptions to everything, but the majority of the people really weren't that way. So they've had these experiences that have landed them where they're at, right? And that's all. And just like I have. So I guess I just don't try to judge anymore. And, you know, I just let it go. But it, you just never know. Like, you know, when you say to somebody, like, I'm a, I'm a person, I just want to have a conversation. I still believe that these people met me, they'd say, you know what? He isn't such a bad dude. You know, I may not agree with everything he says, but he, he's all right. He's okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know about you guys, but here's the thing we have to remember. I say like, something very similar all the yeah, time. You know, I, like I have a mom and a dad, right? And I have children. 
Am yeah. I really that much of an a-hole? Am I, am I really yeah. that much? Really? Right. I don't, because exactly. my kids tend to love me. I think I, I think I have three amazing <laughs> kids. Well, somebody raised them, so I must have done something pretty well, right? My mom, she taught me how to – she raised me right. Like I know the difference between right and wrong. Like, you know, I'm not perfect either like anybody else, but come on. I've yeah. got a conscience. I feel like I'm a good person. I'm a kind person, but – you know, but we're also human too. We all have bad days, and people say things and do things. So you know, that's it. You know, I'm not going to let it take me away from doing the things I want to do. Um, I try to raise my kids that's the same way. That there'll always be you know haters and people who try to bring you back. And I'm just not like I said. I'm not going to let anybody take away my excellence, right? I'm just not going to let anybody do that. And um, I would have though at some point in my career, and and that didn't work for me either, right? So anyway, just my thoughts on it. So we're super excited that we actually get to meet you in real life uh, at the <laughs> Impact Education Conference uh, coming up in December uh, in Minneapolis. You are the Tuesday morning keynote, and that's just actually a few weeks away. Uh, so without giving away too much, uh, can you tell us what you're going to be talking about there? And then what does it mean to live your excellence, as you were just describing? Yeah, um, that's the title of the new book too, called "Live Your Excellence." So it's just kind of interesting, mm-hmm. right? It's just it's it's about looking at, um, you know, you're just trying to figure it out, right? You're just trying to bring your very best every day in terms of how you lead an organization or how you lead a classroom or whatever happens to be the case. So, you know, obviously, it's the whole idea of culturize. I try to lead again, like I said, the first twelve years. You know, I read. I, I led a school based on flavor of the day. I, I led a school whether I was in a good mood or a bad mood. I led a school whether we had money or didn't have money. You know, it's I didn't have a core value from which to live, right, to, to lead. Mm-hmm. And so what I learned is that the best leaders lead from a core, right? And if you know that core, well, that core protects you because that's how you make your decisions. That's how you conduct yourself every day of your life, right? You don't just live it at school. You try to live that core outside of school too or whatever you're doing, right? If you're coaching youth soccer on Saturday morning, you're trying to live the same core. So what I learned was to, to begin to lead from a core and, and that core value, uh, those core values, I should say, what it taught me was this for 12 years, I tried to change people's behavior. And I just don't think you can sustain that for a long period of time, because typically when we try to change people's behavior, we unintentionally create a culture of gotcha. And that's what I'm going to talk about there is where we're making some mistakes and creating these cultures of gotcha when we should be creating cultures of I've got you, which means how do we build a culture that people are invested in it rather than us do rather than us rather than doing it because they want to comply. So cultures of compliance are not healthy. I prefer cultures of investment. So I'm going to talk about how do you begin to build a culture of investment? How do you do that strategically and intentionally? And from a really good place, which means you believe everybody can be great. And so that's what I'm going to try to attempt to do. I'll try to push people's thinking. I'll probably, you know, I try to keep it real. I'm a, you know, I, I've always believed, you know, I'm not, I mean, we know that educated people went in this profession, like they're already saints in my eyes. I mean, any, I mean, I did this job, so I know what it takes. And so anybody who's an educator to me, deserves all the kudos and I think they're great and amazing and the things they commit to and the things that they have to do with to work with on a daily basis when it involves the stories of the kids that they're serving every day in my eyes can do no wrong already. And we know that they're educators who aren't as effective. But again, I believe there was a time in their life where they wanted to be great and experiences yes. led them down a different path towards cynicism, towards apathy, towards negativity, towards gossip, wherever it led them, it led them. Right. 
Well, I still believe great principles can bring them back because here's why. I am a hypocrite if I expect teachers to go in the classroom every day and take our kids that have lost their way and inspire those kids to find their way back, and yet I don't model that. And so, you know, I'm a big believer in modeling, and what we model is what we get, so we better start modeling the behaviors that we want to see repeated. So I'm going to try to encompass all that into a keynote, and we'll see if I can... I always try to tell people, I want people walking out of there saying, I felt like he talked to me today. And if I can do that, I feel like I hit their core a little bit. And then, uh, like I said, I want them to feel good. But at the end of the day, I'm going to ask them, what did they learn? And that's my job to push their thinking. Again, I'm not going to tell anybody what to do. That's I don't do that anymore. But I'll try to push their <laughs> thinking so maybe they'll, on their own, make the decision that maybe it's time for me to try something different because this isn't working for Absolutely. me. So we'll see. So, j- j- Jimmy, how can people connect with you or be able to, uh, you were talking that you have four books uh, and how can they find those? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, well, obviously uh website is easiest, jimmycasas.com. Nice and simple. Uh, you can always start there. Um, obviously through Twitter or Instagram or Voxer. The good thing, all those are the same handle, casas underscore Jimmy. So if you do casas underscore Jimmy, you'll find any of those, obviously, or they're all on the website as well. So um, and then they can always just, you know, they can send me a DM through Twitter. They can email me. They can call me on myself. They want, if they look at my email, my, my cell number's on there. So, uh, I don't mind people <laughs> calling me. So I'm, op- I'm, I'm accessible. I'm pretty accessible. I think. Um, awesome. And so, very yeah, cool. So anytime. Nice. The impact education conference is December 14th to 17th. Uh, friends, remember you can use the promo code on education 2019 to get $30 off your registration. Come see Jimmy, come see us, come hang out. Yes. Uh, it's going to be a blast. I was looking through the schedule, uh, just today and, um, yeah, it's a great lineup. You know, I'm kind of intimidated. By amazing. I'm kind of wondering why I'm even invited. Like I'm starting to look it's at a, that lineup thinking, come on. I'm out of it's, my league. It's going to, it's going to be a riot. I, I'm really excited. So thanks so much, Jimmy, for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you both. Thank you, Mike. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Glenn Irvin. My co-host is Mike Washburn. On Education is part of the Education Podcast Network. You can listen to this show and many others by great educators like Jennifer Gonzalez, Matt Miller, and many more by visiting edupodcastnetwork.com. Want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at oneducationpod. Mike is at Mr. Washburn on Twitter, and I can be found at Irv Spanish. You can find us on Facebook by visiting facebook.com slash oneducationpod. We're also on Instagram at oneducationpod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost. This helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Classcraft, for supporting us. Check out classcraft.com slash oneducation to learn more about them. Thanks as always for listening. Stay awesome and see you soon.